Our scripture reading today is uh, from Exodus 20. Um, I actually, I memorized it this week. Um, so I'll just recite it for you. Uh, verse 13, you shall not murder. So that just about settles it. Um, thou shall not murder. Not sure there's much else to say. This week, I'm especially indebted to, uh, there's a pastor in Sacramento uh, whose thoughts on this were really helpful for me and helped me clarify a lot of key issues here to get at what, what else is going on here. Surely there's more to say than just, thou shall not murder. And, uh, and the first point I want to make today, I don't think you're going to need much convincing on, uh, and that is that other people, not you, of course, uh, but other people, are the worst, really. Um, uh, any, any, of the, any of the teachers here ever feel like saying, you know, teaching is just like it's the best job in the world. I just love teaching. It's just the kids. I mean, if it wasn't for the kids, I mean, it would just be perfect, perfect job. Or nurses, right, same way. Like, I just, I love nursing. It's just like, I love the rhythm of nursing and everything about it. It's just the patience. If I didn't have to deal with the patients, other people, not you, but other people are the worst. Uh, they're always getting in the way. Like, they're too loud. Like, I got a neighbor, and sometimes he'll just, like, test out the sound system in his car, you know, and just sort of see what are the outer reaches of it. What is that? Oh, right. Or, uh, you know, you ever have it, you're driving down the highway, and uh, traffic's, like, at a total standstill, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, and you're waiting, uh, to finally get past the accident up ahead, and then you finally get to it, and you realize it's on the other side of the highway. And the only reason you were going so slow is because everybody ahead of you had to, like, stop and look. Other people are the worst. Um, the fact about other people is they mess up our plans, uh, they take up our time, and just generally, they complicate our lives. And this is something that Scott Peterson understood. Uh, Y'all remember Scott and Lacey Peterson? About 10 years ago, this couple in California, this married couple, uh, happy, kind of upper middle class, good looking. Uh, They were expecting, they're expecting their first child. They were eight months pregnant. Um, And uh, on Christmas Eve, Lacey, the the mother, uh, or the the wife, she she disappeared. There's a manhunt, everybody's looking for her. And pretty soon, the, the police started looking more intensely at, at the husband, at Scott, as a suspect. Um, and this was a bit of a puzzle to people because they had such a good-looking life. I mean, they, they were beautiful people, and, and they would do amazing things, and, and, uh, and they had this child on the way. Like, everything seemed to be so perfect. But what the police started to, to notice, uh, this is mostly circumstantial evidence, but what they started to notice was that Scott Peterson was, um, he was a womanizer. Like he, he, lo- he had lots of girlfriends. Uh, he liked to be around women all the time. He was, uh, he, he was a, a ladies' man, I guess you'd say. And you know what really gets in the way of having lots of girlfriends? Having a wife. Um, and and he, he kind of he lived almost like a bachelor lifestyle. Like they go out to eat all they go out to eat all the time, and and they go to lots of parties, and they just have tons of fun together. Um, 
You know what really gets in the way of like a bachelor's lifestyle? Having a child. And the police started putting pieces together and wondered if he might actually have killed his wife. And, and someone might say, well, hold on a minute. I mean, there's so many other ways to deal with these problems, right? Because these problems come up for people all the time. Uh, so people all the time, they have this feeling like, ah, oh, you know, they're bored of their wife or they want some more excitement. And so they just divorce her, right? I mean, that's really common. Or, you know, if you've got a child, I mean, and it's kind of a pain and they're taking up all your time and energy, you can just abandon them, right? I mean, a lot of people do that. But Scott Peterson, it seems, had, had really thought this through because, you know, if you, if you get a divorce, it's expensive. It can be really expensive. And that would cramp his style. And, and if you leave your child, there's this stigma attached to that. Um, and plus, you're probably going to have to pay child support. So Scott Peterson, it seems like he found himself in a lose-lose situation. And he came up with this clever solution. He took out a life insurance policy on his wife, and he turned this lose-lose situation into a win-win. And now he's sitting on death row in California. In our culture, there might be nothing that we value more than our autonomous selves. So my rights, my feelings, my happiness, my fulfillment, my identity. I must be true to myself. And I think, in a way, Scott Peterson simply worked these values to their logical conclusion. He knew that his wife and his kids were only going to complicate his life. That, that they were only going to get in the way of his pursuit of happiness, his his sense of fulfillment, his ability to be true to the life the way he wanted to live it. And so he got rid of them. Now, of course, the Christian hears this. They hear the, the logic of this. And they've got a quick response. So we would say, hold, hold on a minute. I mean, it's not that we don't care about Scott Peterson's uh, sense of fulfillment, but his life is not the only one that matters here. Lacey's life mattered. Their unborn son, who they had said they were going to name Connor, his life mattered. And, and probably very quickly in this conversation, we would turn to Genesis chapter 1. First book, first chapter of the Bible. And we would go to the spot where it says that men and women are created in the image of God. And we would insist that that before Lacey Peterson was an inconvenience to her husband, she was created in the image of God. And, and before the unborn Connor Peterson was going to cramp his father's style, he was created in the image of God. And this doctrine, this doctrine that we are all created in the image of God, this is, this is the first word of what we would call like a Christian anthropology a Christian way of viewing the human person. And it's this core doctrine that lies at the heart of the sixth commandment. Murder is so reprehensible because every person is created in the image of God. 
in, uh, in, in February, uh, Lauren and I went to Los Angeles to visit my brother. My brother's family's out there. They'd had a child over the summer. Uh, we had had Anna uh, in the fall. And uh, so we wanted, you know, families to meet. So we went out to Los Angeles. And, and one day we rented a car, uh, Lauren and I, and we drove, up, uh, we drove up the coast. And we stopped in Malibu. Um, and we, we stopped for a cup of coffee at the Starbucks in Malibu. Um, and Lauren went inside. Uh, she, she was getting coffee for us. And I was, I was sitting out on the patio. It was a beautiful day. Um, and I had Anna. She was in her car seat and sitting on the table. And who would come walking up the street? Kevin Nealon. You know, you know uh, Hans and Franz from Saturday Night Live? We're going to pump you up. Those guys. This was Franz. Anyway, Franz, he's walking up the street. He's got his jacket over his shoulder. He's looking really cool. And, uh, and he comes up. He's got his girlfriend with him. And, uh, and he walks up the stairs, and his girlfriend sees Anna. And Kevin Nealon's girlfriend says to me, you have a very beautiful baby boy. <laughs> and I said, thank you. Um, This was like the highlight of my trip, okay? Um, and what's interesting to me about it is it wasn't even the famous one who said it, right? It was his girlfriend. Um, but just the fact that someone associated with France thought I had a beautiful baby, that was enough. I valued her opinion so much more than a regular person. I mean, I just thought this was amazing. And even though she thought Anna was a boy, I didn't care. So the Bible says that every person is created in the image of God. Which means that we all have this built-in association, not with France, but we have this built-in association to the creator of the universe. If Kevin Nealon's girlfriend we're sitting next to you today. It'd be the highlight of your day. Uh, it'd be all you talked about this week. But too bad for you. Uh, you will just have to settle for sitting next to someone who's merely created in the image of the God who created the universe. So, you know, too bad for you. I mean, this is incredible, right? The image of God, like everybody around you. And this is unique. Uh, the, the Bible says that we are unique among all living things. The Bible doesn't say this about dolphins or monkeys or basset hounds. Uh, men and women are created in the image of God. So people say, well, what is that? You know, like, what, what's that really talking about? What is the image of God? You know, and they say, well, you know, it's, maybe it's our capacity to reason. You know, like we're thinking creatures. Or, or maybe it's... Uh, Maybe it's our capacity to love, or, or maybe it's our capacity for language. A lot of people say that. And Christians have always thought that those were interesting arguments, but we have always said that when it comes to being created in the image of God, you just are. 
So that even if you aren't intelligent or even if you can't communicate, you would still be created in the image of God. Which means that you can have a a debilitating disease or you can have an enormous disability. Uh, You can have a huge moral failure in your life. It still would not cease to be true that you are created in the image of God. You know, there's all sorts of tough issues around things like euthanasia or the right to die movement. Uh, But this is a Christian starting place. All human life. Uh, Even if it is deformed, even if it is diseased, even if it is disabled, all human life is created in the image of God. Each life to us should have unspeakable value. And if this is true, if it's true of every person, then the sixth commandment could not be more obviously necessary. Wherever we find that human life is not valued, we should be the first to speak up. Every human life matters, not just healthy ones, not just American ones, not just Christian ones. Every human life matters. Our culture starts from me, my rights, My fulfillment makes a life worth living. We start here. We're created in the image of God. And here's the thing about starting where we start. If you start with the image of God, the moral consequences go a lot deeper than just don't murder. Okay. So almost from the day this commandment was written down, God's people, whether it was ancient Israel or the Jews in Jesus' day or the early church or Christians throughout the last 2,000 years, almost from the day this commandment was written down, God's people have sensed that there is something more going on here than just don't kill somebody. Look at how Jesus deals with it. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. You can take out your Bibles. Matthew chapter 5. It's on page 1011. This is verse 21. This is Jesus talking, and he says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. See what Jesus did there? He just put anger in the same moral category as murder. Talking about the same, same relevant issues here. And then he says, again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, Raka was like, it was just a really nasty thing to say to somebody, um, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. So what that means is you could say, you could call somebody Raka, uh, and, and even the, the courts of those days, the religious courts, could get you into trouble. But Jesus says, anyone who says, you fool, which, let's be honest, it's pretty tame by the standards of the things that we call each other. Uh, But even saying, you fool, will put you in danger of the fire of hell. So Jesus' starting place was do not murder. But in like two sentences, he managed to include being angry with someone 
and calling them kind of a, a tame name under the same moral category. All right, if you've got a gray hymnal, you can take that out. Um, uh, page, uh, do I have the page here? Is it page 911? Um, so this is the Heidelberg Catechism. This is like a, it's a teaching tool of our church. It's something that guides the way that we interpret Scripture. Um, one of the things that it has in there, and I've been kind of following this every week, is it has instructions on the Ten Commandments. Like, what are these talking about? So this was written like 500 years ago, but um, uh, it's, uh, it's talking about uh, Lord's Day 40, question 105. They're, they're taking their cues from Jesus, the way that he expands the meaning. And this is what it says. So what is God's will for us in the Sixth Commandment? I'm not to belittle, insult, hate, or kill my neighbor. Okay, so it's already included uh, belittling, insulting, and hating. Right? Not by my thoughts, my words, my looks, or my gestures. Okay, so now it's not just talking about like the things that we actively do that even that person would notice, but even giving them a dirty look fits under the same moral category. And say, so, okay, okay, so as long as we don't do any of those nasty things to somebody, dirty looks, flip on the bird, all those kinds of things, we're okay, right? Question 106. So does, does this commandment refer only to killing? It says, no, by, by forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder. So then it, it identifies envy, hatred, anger, vindictiveness. So it's not just your, your actual actions against somebody, but it's even like the stuff inside that makes you want to take out those actions. They're like, oh yeah, that's included too. Right? They're following Jesus' lead here. And it's like, okay, so as long as I don't have bad thoughts about somebody or do something bad to them, like, am I okay then? Question 107. Is it enough then that we don't kill our neighbor in any of these ways? No! By condemning envy, hatred, and anger, God tells us to actually love our neighbors as ourselves. To be patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, and friendly to him. To protect him from harm as much as we can. And to do good even to our enemies. All of this under those four words. You shall not murder. You see what they're doing? This is the logical consequence of a Christian anthropology. Right? It's not just that if, if someone is created in the image of God, it's not just that you don't want to kill that person. If someone is created in the image of God, you want to do all that you can to love that person, to help that person, to serve that person. Because every human life is incredibly valuable. And I think that if we keep working this, this logic to its conclusion, I think we're often going to find ourselves in pretty serious conflict with the values of our culture. Because if, if this image of God stuff, if it's true, then that means that not just some of the time, but probably a lot of the time, my rights, my happiness, are going to have to take a back seat to somebody else's needs. Right? Because if you all, if you truly are created in the image of God, it's going to be really hard for me to just ignore your needs. You're created in the image of God. How can I just ignore your needs? 
And yet we all know the truth, right? And the truth is, we ignore each other's needs all the time. You know, Scott Peterson's actions are evil. But in his worldview, in a way, they're rational. I mean, he knew that other human lives can be very inconvenient to our own. He didn't want to put his happiness or his sense of fulfillment on hold. Uh, He didn't want limits. He didn't want to sacrifice. And so he did what he had to do to preserve his own happiness, to preserve his own sense of self-fulfillment. And his actions, they might repulse you. I hope they do. But I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that the difference between us and Scott Peterson is usually just a matter of degree. I think all of us, all the time, are making decisions to ignore the image of God in other people. We're not so different from Scott Peterson. You know, it occurred to me this week that, you know, even if we wanted, even if we wanted to follow the Sixth Commandment and and do all that Jesus said about it and then do all that the Catechism said about it, even if we wanted to treat everyone as the image bearer of God that they are, I don't think we can. I mean, the, 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 the same sin that messed up the way Scott Peterson looked at the world, that's in me, it's in you. It messes up the way we see the world. And I think even if we could overcome that sin, and even if we could, we could really, truly want to love the way Jesus commanded, I don't think there's enough hours in the day. I don't think there's enough dollars in the bank account to truly treat everyone around us who's created in the image of God to treat them with the worth that they deserve. It doesn't mean we shouldn't try. It's just it's really hard. Right? Because just because you want to love someone doesn't make them lovable. Anybody else ever notice that? Right? As good as our intentions may be, it's always easier to love people in theory, on principle, in the abstract, than it is to have to love the flesh and blood person who's actually standing in front of you. Or driving slowly in front of you, as the case may be. This is what makes what Jesus did on the cross so extraordinary. He did what was well, what we thought was impossible. He loved the unlovable. He sacrificed himself exclusively for those who didn't deserve it. He saw the darkness in our hearts. He saw our failure to fill the law. He saw our inclination to seek our own fulfillment over others. He saw our tendency to to just completely ignore the image of God and other people. And he said, I'm going to die for you anyway. And when he did that, he opened up a whole new world. Think about it this way. Um, If this life is all there is, This life is all we've got. If we've got 70, 80, 90 years, if we're lucky, and then it's over, 
Let's be honest. Scott Peterson's actions have some logic to them. Uh, if this pie is all there is, you better make sure you get your piece. You better hope it's a big one. If this life, if this life is all we've got, frankly, sacrifice doesn't make much sense. Why would I give up what precious little time I have for somebody else? It doesn't add up. But when Jesus did the impossible, so when He loved the unlovable and when He sacrificed for those who didn't deserve it, He opened up for us eternity. And any mathematician will tell you that eternity will mess up all your calculations. Jesus said in His death and resurrection that this life is not all there is. That there's more to this world than meets the eye. Your fast car will break down. And your beautiful body will get flabby and your mind will get slow. All the things that we pursue for our happiness and fulfillment, they are fleeting. They are here today. They are gone tomorrow in this life. But the Bible says that for those who are in Christ, our treasure is where? It's in heaven. And that means that we can sacrifice here on earth. We can, we can truly acknowledge the image of God in other people. We can love them sacrificially in Jesus' name. And when all else has decayed and all else has fallen apart, these three will remain. Faith, hope, love. The greatest of these is love. All right, let's pray together. Lord, we ask um, that you would forgive us for the hundreds of ways that we do not truly acknowledge the image of God in the people around us. The ways that we belittle and insult and ignore people whom you have, whom you have given overwhelming value. Lord, I pray that you would help us to love the way that you love. But most of all, Lord, that you would give us hearts of gratitude. That you could look upon us, failures in love, quite frankly. And you could say, I can love you. And I do love you, and I will die for you. And I will open up for you eternal life. Lord, may that gift Fill us with such joy and such hope. May it cause us to live our lives with reckless abandon. To love the image bearers of you around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.